My sermon text this afternoon is from the book of Psalms. We're going to jump ahead a little bit. Don't worry, we'll be jumping back. I know we, uh, we're still early in the Psalms in our Psalm series, but I wanted to skip ahead to Psalm 119, verses 105 through 112, and we'll focus especially on verse 105. This is a, a section of the longest portion of Scripture, the longest chapter in the Bible, the Psalm 119, and it's verses 105 through 112. So friends, let us hear with reverence and awe the word of our God. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and I will confirm it that I will keep your righteous ordinances. I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. O oh, accept the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not gone astray from your precepts. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever, even to the end. Thus far the reading of God's word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Please join me in asking the Lord to bless the preaching of his word. Gracious Lord and Father in heaven, once again we pray that by your spirit you would open our minds and our hearts to behold wondrous things from your word. Grant us the grace of attentiveness. Grant, O oh Lord, that we would see the relevance and the importance and significance of this passage of scripture and we pray that you would apply these truths to our hearts, and by your grace, may we uh, work out the implications of these truths in our day-to-day lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the title of my sermon this afternoon is, The Scriptures Are Clear. And you'll notice a number of key words you can be listening for. In the book entitled, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, written by Dr. Norman Geisler and Frank Turek, the authors tell an interesting story. It's a story that they've heard about a seminary student who went home to Bowling Green, Kentucky for holiday break a number of years ago. And I will just quote from their account of what happened. They write, while on break, this Bible-believing student decided to be adventurous one Sunday and attend a church that he had never attended before. But as soon as the pastor uttered the first sentence of his sermon, the student realized he had made a mistake. The pastor was contradicting the Bible. As As an aside, believe it or not, that does happen periodically. The pastor said, the theme of my sermon this morning, the pastor began, is that all religious beliefs are true. The student squirmed in his seat as the pastor went on to assure each member of the congregation that every religious belief they had was, quote, quote, true. When the sermon was over, the student wanted to slip out unnoticed, but the heavy-set, robed pastor was waiting at the door, bear-hugging each passing congregant. Son, the pastor boomed upon greeting the student, where are you from? Actually, I'm from Bowling Green, sir. I'm home on break from seminary. Seminary? Good. So what religious beliefs do you have, son? I'd rather not say, sir. 
Why not, son? Because I don't want to offend you, sir. Oh, son, you can't offend me. Besides, it doesn't matter what your beliefs are. They're true. So what do you believe? Okay, the student relented. He leaned toward the pastor, cupped his hand around his mouth, and whispered, Sir, I believe that you are going to hell. The pastor's face turned bright red as he struggled to respond. I uh, guess I have made a mistake. All religious beliefs cannot be true because yours certainly aren't true. Well, dear ones, this story illustrates the fact that the popular notion out there that, quote, all religious beliefs are true is irrational and logically self-defeating. In fact, it's a rather silly belief when you really dive into it. It's a wonder that otherwise intelligent and educated people will often swallow such an absurd notion. However, I suspect that one of the major reasons why so many people in our culture today buy into the silly notion that all religious beliefs are somehow equally, quote, true, is because many folks today have bought into the lie that if God exists, he certainly has not revealed himself or his truth to mankind in any kind of clear way. However, those of us who are Bible-believing Christians must reject this kind of a skeptical attitude. Why? Well, because we believe that God has, in fact, revealed himself and revealed himself clearly to humanity. And, of course, where can we find that clear revelation of God's truth and God's will? Well, I think you know the answer to that question. The answer to that question is in this book, in the Bible, because the Bible is God's word. While there are portions of God's word, indeed, which are difficult to understand, no one denies that. Nevertheless, the basic information about what we are to believe about God and what duty God requires of us is so clearly set forth in the Holy Scriptures that anyone who sincerely wants to know these basic truths can understand them from the Bible, just so long as they're willing to put in the necessary work, the necessary effort to read and to study the Scriptures with an open mind and an open heart. You see, my friends, God did not reveal his word as a puzzle book. The Bible is not a book filled with secret and hidden meanings and dark, obscure sayings that only a specially trained class of elitist experts like the clergy or academics can only truly understand. On the contrary, as our main text for today tells us in verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And because the scriptures are a lamp and a light, that implies that they are inherently clear. And therefore, they are also a sufficient guide to us for Christian faith and Christian living. In the words of our wonderful Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 1, section 7 of that confession, it says, All things in scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned, but the unlearned, in a due use of the ordinary means, may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. And of that uh, section of our uh, Confession of Faith, I believe that our passage for today, especially verse 105, is one of the Scripture proofs for that, uh, that section. Now, as we dive into our text for today, I want to point out that the context of our passage for this afternoon supports the assertion 
that God's revelation in Holy Scripture is essentially clear in its basic message. That's my first main point. The context of our passage supports the assertion that God's revelation in Holy Scripture is essentially clear in its basic message. Again, that doesn't mean that every part of the Bible is equally clear or equally easy to understand. Even John Calvin didn't write a commentary on the book of Revelation, and I suspect that uh, there's a reason for that. But nevertheless, the basic message of law and gospel, of what we are to believe about God and what duty he requires of us, is clearly set forth in the scriptures. Now, let us uh, consider uh, the setting for Psalm 119. Psalm 119, as I've mentioned, is the longest chapter or section of Scripture that is found in the entire Bible. It's 176 verses in length. One of my study Bibles in my library, uh, in, in one of my study Bibles, this psalm takes up 10 pages. It's a very lengthy portion of God's Word. And in this psalm, the psalmist extols the law or word of God. In fact, in this psalm, eight Hebrew words are used for God's law, translated differently as ordinances, commands, uh, stipulations, and so forth. Together, these different words bring out the full spectrum and the richness of God's will and instruction as it is revealed in the written scriptures. Now, in terms of the overall structure of this psalm, it's a beautifully uh, constructed psalm from a literary perspective. Uh, one of the uh, commentators uh, that, I've, uh, that I uh, uh, have consulted in preparing this message writes the following about this psalm. He says, the psalm has an acrostic pattern. Each of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet is made the initial letter of eight verses in successive session, uh, sections. But the literary structure of this psalm, as impressive as that may be, is not the most beautiful thing about this particular psalm. No, my friends, in the words of Bible scholar Dr. Willem van Gemmeren, who I often quote from, he says, The beauty of this psalm lies not only in the recitation of devotion to the law, but in the psalmist's absolute devotion to the Lord. Dr. van Gemmeren goes on to say this about the occasion for the writing of Psalm 119. He says, Most likely writing in the post-exilic era, the psalmist knows firsthand the oppression of evil. He has been surrounded by wickedness, pursued by the arrogant and proud, humbled by sorrow and disgrace, yet his refuge is in God. He constantly cries out to God, retreats into his shadow, and finds solace in his strength. This is a psalm not only of law, but of love. Not only of statute, but of spiritual strength. Not only of devotion to precept, but of loyalty to the way of the Lord. The beauty in this psalm resounds from the relationship of the psalmist and his God. Amen to that. Now, as we dive into the details of this particular section of Psalm 119, uh, I would uh, point out the immediate context of our passage. Here in this context, the psalmist indicates that he is determined to keep what he describes in verse 106 as God's righteous rules or ordinances. And he also reveals to us in verse 108 his intention to praise God and to praise God in spite of his deep affliction and in spite of opposition from the wicked who seek to snare him. Again, as verse 106 says, the psalmist writes, I have sworn and I will confirm it 
that I will keep your righteous ordinances. He desires to obey God's word. He loves the word, the law of God, and he desires to obey it. And he goes on to say in verse 108, Oh, accept the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. Accept the freewill offerings of my mouth. That's praise. He's determined not only to obey God, but to praise God. And he is determined to praise God, as I mentioned, in spite of deep affliction. He mentions this affliction in verse 107, where he says, I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. And then he also shows that he is determined to obey and to praise God in spite of opposition from the wicked. The wicked who seek to ensnare him, as he says in verse 110, the wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not gone astray from your precepts. Now, this uh, terminology, this uh, statement here is not an assertion of sinless perfectionism. The psalmist is not saying, Lord, I'm sinless. I'm completely innocent. I don't need a savior. That's not what it's saying. But nevertheless, it is his intention and focus to live in accordance with the precepts of the Lord, to live in light of God's word. Like the rest of Psalm 119, this particular portion of the psalm pulsates with the psalmist's devotion to the word of the Lord and his devotion to the Lord of the word. Now, I have asserted that the context of our passage for this this afternoon, both in terms of its broader and its narrower context, supports the truth that God's word is essentially clear. The theologians call this the perspicuity or see-throughableness of Scripture, that it's basically clear in its basic message. Well, how so? How does this psalm support that doctrine? Well, think about it. How could the psalmist extol the word of the Lord if that word were obscure or difficult to understand? For example, how could he swear to keep God's righteous judgments, meaning God's revealed rules and laws, if it was impossible to understand what those judgments were with any kind of clarity? How could he claim in verse 110 that he had not strayed from God's precepts if he could not even understand what those precepts are? But an objection will be raised to this first point that I brought before you. Many unbelievers and skeptics will say, well, if the Bible is so clear, why do you Christians have so many different interpretations of the Bible? If the Bible is so clear in its basic message, where do you get all these different interpretations of the Bible? Well, as an aside, let me just mention that in spite of our denominational differences, in spite of the uh, different interpretations when it comes to certain matters of Scripture, one of the things that's interesting to me is that historically, all of the major branches of historic Christianity, whether we're talking about Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, or historic confessional Protestant churches, we are all agreed on some of the basics of the Christian faith. For example, all three branches of the historic church acknowledge and confess the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, We acknowledge and confess the literal incarnation of Christ, that he is the God-man, the Word made flesh, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, that he performed mighty miracles as the Messiah of God, that he died upon the cross as an atoning sacrifice for sin and physically and bodily rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and reigns at the Father's right hand and will come again at the end of this age to judge the living and the dead. 
So there are some very, very important and, in some cases, even essential differences among uh, the branches of Christianity. Yet, when it comes to those basics of what C.S. Lewis would call mere Christianity, we're all on board in many ways. So I don't think, when, let's, let's be fair, a lot of things are clear from Scripture in spite of these differences in interpretation. But we do have some significant and important differences among the various professed Christian churches and among other groups as, as well that would call themselves Christians, but which we would regard as cults or sects or, or heresies. Well, where do we get these different interpretations? You know, there are bad interpretations of the Bible and there are sound interpretations of the Bible. Some would say, well, I don't interpret the Bible, I just believe it. Well, okay, I understand what you're trying to say, but it's impossible to read a document like the Bible or any work of literature for that matter and not engage in the process of interpretation. The issue is, how are you interpreting what you're reading? You don't read the New York Times in the same way that you would read a mystery novel, for example. You don't read a piece of poetry in the same way that you would read a technical uh, man manual uh, on electronics, for example. Uh, we read, we interpret what we interpret in accordance with its literary genre and so forth. And uh, if, you interpret, uh, if you interpret a piece of fiction as if it were fact, then, um, then you are misinterpreting that work of literature. Or if you're interpreting the news as if it were fiction, sometimes the news is <laughs> reported in a fictional way today, or at least uh, in an opinionated way. But nevertheless, when we're talking about uh, the, the straight news, if you interpret that as fiction, then you're misinterpreting it. Well, in the same way, when it comes to the Word of God, we have to approach it with appropriate principles of interpretation. But sadly, there are many misinterpretations or bad interpretations of the Bible. Where do these bad interpretations come from? Well, sometimes these misinterpretations of the Bible are due to spiritual immaturity in the one interpreting the scriptures, or perhaps due to a lack of proper instruction in the word. For example, if you're a new believer and you've never before read the Bible and you start reading the Bible and uh, you need to read it with guidance. You need to read it carefully, and you need to learn the proper principles of Bible interpretation. Sadly, there are many folks out there in our culture today that uh, where, where folks seem to think that, well, as long as I have, uh, you know, a basic education and I can read the Bible for myself, I'll, I can interpret it as authoritatively as John Calvin or Martin Luther or the Westminster Divines. And that's simply... Is not the case. The Bible is clear, but the Bible needs to be studied with proper care. And uh, the spiritually immature, or those not properly instructed in the Word, those who are misguided or unstable in their faith, uh, may very well often uh, fall into misinterpretations of the Word. Another reason why there are so many interpretations of the Bible is because oftentimes the person who is, quote, interpreting the Bible isn't really trying to understand what the Bible is saying, but rather is trying to find loopholes, trying to find a way to wiggle out of the implications of what the Bible is actually teaching. And I think there are many examples of that that, that could be found today. We live in a time where it, uh, many teachings and truths of the Bible are simply not politically correct. We live in an age that is deeply influenced, for example, by feminism. And uh, because of uh, feministic assumptions, 
Many folks come to the Bible and they read passages like 1 Timothy 2, 12 to 14, which touch upon the issue of, of women's ordination and who may have teaching authority in the church. Now, the Bible is not a sexist book, but the Bible does present God's created order. And in God's created order, the Bible says, I do not allow a woman to teach, to hold uh, teaching authority over men in the context of the church. And so the Bible, for example, uh, does not advocate for, in fact, it denies women's ordination. But if you are of the position that, uh, that well, feminism is true and, and I don't care what the Bible says, I'm going to make that mean what I want it to mean, then you're going to find a way to interpret passages like that in a way that explain those passages away. We think of today of the, the new sexual ethic. We think of homosexuality, which is uh, accepted widely in our culture. And uh, if you think that homosexuality is a, is a legitimate form of, of expression, and then you read passages like Romans 1, 24 through 27, which makes it very clear that such, uh, such proclivities are not natural. In fact, they're described as unnatural and perverse. Uh, then you've got to find a way, if you're pro-homosexual, you've got to find a way to explain passages like that away. Or even today, with our, uh, in our culture, where there's uh, transgenderism, you know, what does the Bible say? The Bible says God created them male and female. There's two genders. It's pretty clear. It's clear from natural revelation, but it's also clear, very clear from the Word of God. And yet, if you have bought into modern gender theory and transgender theory, you've got to try to find a way to squirm out of that and, and explain away the Scripture. So, again, very often the Bible only seems confusing and dark to us, not because the Bible itself is dark, dark and obscure, but because our hearts are darkened by sin and depravity. Think of a scenario where you've got a bright, sunny summer day. There's not a cloud in the sky. The sun is shining brightly. And I want you to imagine there is a physically blind man in that context. The blind man obviously cannot see the light of the sun. Is the problem with the sun in that scenario? No. The physically blind man is unequipped to see and appreciate the shining light of the sun. Again, the problem is not in the sun, but in the blind man's lack of sight. Similarly, very often the reason why the unbelieving or the hard-hearted cannot understand or why the Bible often seems dark to people is not because the Bible itself is dark. Again, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There's no darkness in the word, the darkness is in us. And only the, the light of God's sovereign grace can burst through that darkness and open our eyes to see the truth of the word. Only the Holy Spirit can enlighten our hearts and cause us to perceive the radiant light that shines forth from the pages of Holy Scripture. Let me ask you, dear listener, has the Holy Spirit opened your heart to hear and to receive the scriptures with a heart of saving faith in Christ? And so we learn that this passage implies the clarity of Scripture. But observe next that the Word of God is able to guide in the paths of righteousness precisely because of its light-giving character. The Word of God is able to guide us in the paths of righteousness precisely because of its light-giving character. Verse 105, the psalmist writes, Your Word 
is a lamp to my feet. The Hebrew word for word there is the Hebrew term dabar. And according to Van Gemeren, this word is, quote, a most general designation for divine revelation, whether of expectation or promise. In the context of our passage, it would seem to be referring to God's word or revelation in this most general sense. Though from its close connection in Uh, to verse 106, it is possible here that the psalmist may have the word of God in the sense of God's commandments, especially in the forefront of his mind, since those commandments and laws provide ethical guidance to the believer. We need light. Sin has darkened our souls. It has darkened our spiritual perception. Apart from sovereign grace, we are dead and blind in sin. Only his grace can enlighten our eyes and open our hearts and direct our paths. You know, if you find yourself, uh, we've all had this experience, I imagine. You wake up in the middle of the night, maybe you're on a trip and you're in a hotel room and you wake up in the middle of the night and the room is dark and you need to get up and use the restroom or you want to go to the kitchen to get a, a midnight snack or whatever and you get up and uh, you're worried about stubbing your toe because you're not familiar. You're, you're groping for the light. If you don't have a light in the room, you might trip over something. You might stub your toe or injure yourself in some other way. When we walk as sinners in this fallen, sin-cursed world, as we live our lives, we are, in, we are darkened in our hearts and we live in a darkened world. We need the light of God's grace and God's word to guide us. God's word is indeed a lamp to our feet so that we don't stub our toes, so that we don't trip or harm ourselves. And it is a light to our path. Imagine that you're, that you're on a hike by yourself uh, and it's getting dark. You're out in the forest and you're following along in the path and all of a sudden the sun goes down and you, for, you remember that, oh boy, I didn't pack my flashlight. You sure need a, pa- a flashlight to get you through to show you the path so you don't wander off into the forest and get yourself lost. God has given us a lamp. He's given us a light. He has given us his holy word. And his word is clear, at least in its basic message. His word will show you your sin, reveal your God to you, and show you your need for grace. The word will reveal to you The good news of Jesus Christ, your only hope of salvation. Praise God. God has given us clear instruction in his word, the Bible. The Bible clearly declares the truth about God, especially the glorious truth about the good news of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. The word sheds light on our path, showing us what doctrine we are to believe and what behavior pleases our loving and gracious Heavenly Father. Dear listener, By the grace of God, are you allowing the word of God to guide you with its light along the pathway of light, of life? May God in his mercy give us the grace to receive the light of his word and to let that light guide our paths. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord and Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the clarity, the perspicuity of scripture. We know, Lord, that not every religion or religious view is true. We know that your word is true, however, and that it is a reliable guide. And so, Lord, guide us by your word and through the Spirit evermore into the ways of truth. 
and ever deeper into the life of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.